following lecture was produced by the Gnostic Academy of Chicago, a nonprofit organization, and is one of many available for podcast, download, and transcription. You can visit chicagonosis.org to find courses, articles, scriptures, commentaries, and other valuable resources that address a wide variety of spiritual subjects, interests, and needs. Through the generous support of listeners like you, the Gnostic Academy of Chicago has produced online courses, lectures, and articles freely available worldwide. If you have benefited from this knowledge, help humanity through making a tax-deductible donation at chicagonosis.org. If you are interested in attending the Gnostic Academy of Chicago in person, you may view our online class schedule and freely register at meetup.com slash chicagonosis. The Chicagoland Gnostic Academy provides humanity with the necessary means for transforming suffering and acquiring personal knowledge of the divine. With this purpose in mind, we now begin the lecture. May all beings be happy. convenient that we finish this lecture series on Turim Do after the Jewish holidays, specifically Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which began on Monday of last week and culminated on Wednesday of this week. The last two acts of this opera relate to these two holidays, specifically the Jewish New Year, Rosh Hashanah, in Act 2, culminating with Yom Kippur. Rosh Hashanah literally means head of the year. From Hebrew, Rosh, the intellect, the head. And Hashanah meaning the year. Rosh Hashanah commemorates the creation of the world. And the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, is a day of prayer and fasting where many Jews observe certain rituals in their synagogues as an atonement for their sins, for their faults before divinity. So, all these religions, or better said, all these dynamics of this holiday relate esoterically to this opera. Rosh Hashanah reminds us of Shushumna in Sanskrit. Shushumna is the channel of our spinal column which unites with the head, Rosh. We have two serpents, Ida and Pingala, in the caduceus of Mercury, and Shushumna is the central channel or spinal column through which the Kundalini rises to Rosh, the head. Rosh Hashanah, therefore, symbolically speaking, is how we enter initiation, the beginning of life, and a way of being. Because every time we raise a serpent of fire from the chakra muladhara up our shushumna channel to our head, we are achieving the major mysteries, as well as certain developments in the soul related to time, to esoteric age. If you're familiar with the writings of Samael and Vior, he states in the major mysteries that to learn of your age in the internal planes, 
is symbolic. We stated previously that there were nine initiations of minor mysteries in which we walked the probationary path described in Act One of this opera. We also find that the nine degrees of minor mysteries relate to the ages 10 through 90. The first initiation of minor mysteries relates to 10 years. The second initiation of minor mysteries relates to 20, and likewise up to 90. So if you ask your being, or the masters of the White Lodge, where am I in my development? They'll tell you, you're 20 years old, or you're 90 years old. Referring to either the second or ninth degrees of minor mysteries, respectively. To enter the ages such as 100 to 900, or above and beyond, relate to the initiations of fire, the major mysteries. The major mysteries pertain to the awakening of the sacred fire within Shushumna to your Rosh, your head. When you achieve any initiation of fire, whether it be from Malkut, Yasod, Hod, Netzach, Tiferet, Giburah, or Chesed. The seven initiations of fire related to the seven Sephiroth upon the Tree of Life, which pertains to 700 years of age. So, when we read in the Bible that Abraham was 99 years old, or Noah was 500 years old, it relates to the minor mysteries and the major mysteries. It's interesting that Abram, our spirit, symbolically speaking, was 99 years old, before he was known as Abraham, when he gave birth to Isaac, to the sexual force of Shaddai el-Chai, he was sterile. But we know that this is symbolic. How he and his wife represent us. Qualities of our body, of our spirit. Before working in alchemy, we are sterile, infertile, due to fornication. Through scientific chastity, by learning to work with the Hebrew letter Hey, our spirit, Abram, becomes Abraham. Notice that the name Abraham is spelled when you add hey to Abram, signifying how we give power to our innermost when we cooperate in sexual alchemy, when we work with the womb, the hey of our Divine Mother Turandot. We need to be fertile so that we can give birth to the soul, Isaac, and in order to enter the major mysteries, we must be married. The first initiation of fire relates to 100 years old. The second initiation of fire, 200 years old. Likewise, up the tree of life. So every time we complete an initiation, we are becoming new or entering into a new year, a new life. So, Rosh Hashanah, Rosh Shushumna, when the fires illuminate your head. It's also interesting that the word Hashana, meaning year, also etymologically sounds like the word Shoshana, which means rose or lily. Hashana, Shoshana, Shushumna are all related to the rose of our spirit, 
the igneous rose of the divine. The seven chakras are seven flowers of the soul awakened through the sacred fire. When you raise the kundalini up, shushumna, up to your head. And in that way, we learn to develop the sacred fire. Because if you look at the Hebrew word shoshana, you find that we have the letter shin represented twice, which means fire, Christ. We also have the vav. Shoshana literally means rose. But it refers to the fires in the spine, which we develop gradually within the couple. Because there are two shins, the fire of man and the fire of woman, that rise up within your spine through the power of noon, which in Aramaic means fish, but is also representative of the sperm and the ovum specifically. We find this beautiful quote from chapter 2 of the Song of Solomon. Shalomar, the solar man. I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valleys. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Sharon reminds us of Hasharon. Hey is in a definite article in Hebrew, meaning the, but also means the breath. Because in order to create something, we use our speech, our language, the word. And through the breath, through mantras, we work with the fires of our body to circulate those energies in a dynamic manner. So in that sense, we are working with Hasharom. Whenever we do runes, prayer, mantras, the shin and the breath, the fire and the wind of Christ, the strength of God, which is Aum. The word Aum literally means sexual virility. So Sharon is literally the fiery breath of our sexual power. But also the word Shoshana, which is where you get names like Susanna, relates to the lily, which is a beautiful flower representing the seven chakras. For the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 2. And as the lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. You have the Hebrew term habanot, meaning the daughters, which literally can be translated as the houses, because the word bet relates to the sort of solar values that we create in a marriage. Bet we find in famous terms like Bethlehem, the house of bread. Prince Caliph created his own solar house in Act 2 by answering the three riddles of Turandot. Solar astral, solar mental, solar causal bodies. Yet in that way, he awoke all of his shushumna by raising not only the serpents of fire, but the serpents of light on the first mountain. And so, on the first mountain the mountain of initiation. We must dive to the ego to a certain degree within a matrimony. And by taking the direct path, we can incarnate Christ. This is symbolized when Caliph renounces marriage with Turno, when she refuses him because he still has desire alive. She won't marry him at that level as a Hasna Mus, as a being with a split personality 
one heavenly, one diabolic. He has reached the fifth initiation of major mysteries and has a choice to make, to remain in nirvana on the spiral path or to renounce heaven and incarnate Christ. So, he chooses to fully eliminate his ego, to renounce marriage at the level of a nirvani Buddha, and to take the straight path of the bodhisattvas, to which the commoners of the palace said, you are strong. He renounced that level, choosing to descend into his own infernos, to die radically to his self, so he can ascend higher. In this way, he starts to approach Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Yom Kippur literally means Day of Atonement. Yom in Hebrew is spelled Yod, Vav, and final Mem. The letter Yod we saw previously represents Keter, is a point. The seminal energy of sperm and the ovum, which we raise up our spine. The letter Vav, through the powers of Mem, the waters, or sexual energy. When you achieve initiation, you achieve a day of Genesis. The book of Genesis is not a story of the creation of the physical world, a literal history, but is symbolic of the seven initiations of fire specifically. In the first day, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep signifying how our psychology is full of darkness. But the Lord said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And that was the first day, or evening in the day. This relates to the first initiation of fire in Malkut, the physical body. That's the first day of Genesis, the first day of generation. In the second day, let the water separate from the waters above and below. Ha Shamaim, the heavens, with Maim below. And this day there was no blessing from God that it was good. Which is very profound. Specifically because when working with the sexual energy, the suffering is solved, there is no guarantee that we'll be successful. This is why the Lord does not say it was good. Through the waters we can descend, or better say, fall into Klipot. The ninth sephir on the tree of life reminds us of Surah 9 in the Quran. There is no Bismillah at the beginning. Every Surah of the Quran has Bismillah irrahman irahim in the name of Allah, the compassionate, the merciful. But in the ninth Surah, it doesn't have that reading which reminds us of this principle. Through Yasad, the ninth sphere, we may succeed, or we may fail. So there is the danger of failing, of falling. This dynamic is beautifully represented within both the book of Genesis and the Quran. In the third day or third initiation of major mysteries, let the dry land appear, vegetation from the waters, blossoms and fruits, and God said it was good. In the fourth day, let there be light to the expanse of the sky and the firmament of heaven for days and for years. Me'orot. And the word me'orot means lights. 
we have the word aor present. And in the spelling of meorot, there is no vav, indicating that the light must emerge in our spinal column in the mental body. We must create the solar mental body so that we can see the heavens, the stars of Nut, the divine princess Turindo. In the fifth day, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and the great sea monsters, the great whales of Atanatanim Hagedulim, as well as swarms of every kind. And the Lord said, Be fruitful and increase, or be fruitful and rabau. The word rabbah reminds us of rabbi. Be fruitful and master. This verse doesn't mean be fruitful and fornicate. It means be fruitful and develop those principles in you through a marriage, through alchemy. On the sixth day, relating to the sixth initiation of fire, let the earth bring forth creeping things of the earth, beasts and cattle. And likewise, we shall make man into our image. Male, female, did Jehovah Elohim create them. And this day, of course, was very good. Tob Meod, which reminds us of the two serpents, Vav and Zayim, or Od and Obd, specifically. Tob Meod means very good, but also reminds us of Od and Obd, or Ida and Pingalah and Kabbalah. So when those serpents are raised in us, we become a human being with the solar astral, solar mental, solar causal bodies. Then we are a man of the sixth day of Genesis, which is what Caliph achieved in Act 2. He united with his soul, his divine soul, at that level. But in order to become a man of the seventh day, he did something very drastic, very profound. The seventh day reminds us of the Sabbath, Saturn Day, Saturday, Shabbat. Yom Kippur is referred to as the Sabbath of the Sabbaths, representing how when the ego is fully eliminated through atonement on the second mountain, then the soul can resurrect within the being, within the Divine Mother. The spirit is absorbed, chesed within Binah, all the qualities of the soul, the bodies themselves, etc., are absorbed within the Holy Spirit, Binah. But the ego must be fully eliminated. Caliph reached that level of true human being in Act 2, and then he takes the direct path and raises the serpents of light. But now he faces a very great problem, as represented in this final act of this drama. In order to reach the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, it's very logical that one must pass through the night. Lilith and Nahema, which opens our discussion of Act 3. Night has fallen on Peking, and no man shall sleep by decree of the divine princess Turindo. The name of the unknown prince Caliph, which we don't learn of until the very end, must be discovered before dawn or else her subjects shall be executed. Therefore, the royal guards proclaim her dread command throughout the city in the night, which is followed by the fear and mournful subjection of the people. As I said, Prince Caliph raised the serpents of fire and light on the first mountain. 
But while one can achieve mastery at that level, it's a very different thing to achieve perfection in mastery, to fully die to the ego. Only after the ego is fully annihilated can the soul then unite with Binah, and Binah with the lower seven Sephiroth specifically. The second mountain is the path of descent into the infernal planes. Within each inverted Sephira, the lunar hells, the mercurial hells, the Venusian hells, the solar hells, the Martian hells, the Jupiterian hells, the Saturnian hells, the Uranian hells, and Neptunian hells. Nine inverted Sephiroth all relate to the nine heavens and the tree of life. You must first descend into hell and face all of your evilness to die radically in each Sephiroth below in order to ascend, to resurrect within a respective heaven. By annihilating the egos relating to the lunar hell, you rise up to the lunar heaven, mercurial hell to the mercurial heaven, and likewise until reaching the very end, Keter. That is the level of Hayot HaKadosh, a holy living creature with no ego. So in the prayer to Solomon, the invocation of Solomon, we state, Hayot HaKadosh, cry, speak, roar, bellow, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. This means holy creatures, holy, holy, holy. A Hayota Kadosh is an initiate who has no ego, who has the four elements radically purified, and who is now preparing to enter Binah to a higher degree, to resurrect. This was the case of Samael and Vior near the end of his life in which he fully eliminated the ego and was preparing to physically die. Because in order to resurrect in the being, the physical corpse, the flesh of fornication, must leave to die through a sickness, through karma. The initiate pays all their karma at the end completely, which usually occurs in the form of some type of disease, some type of illness which is incurable and produces a lot of suffering. So Caliph is preparing for that precise moment in the opera where he has to face all the people of Peking who want to know his name, who want to know his secret, who he is. Because the riddle that he gave the turned was, if you don't want to marry me, you have to find out my name. It's a very beautiful symbol because the name in Hebrew is Hashem. The Jews always state, Baruch Hashem Adonai. Or blessed be the name of the Lord. Hashem is the name. A sacred appellation for Yod Chava, Jehovah, Christ. So he tells her, Guess my name in before dawn. If you find it out, I will gladly die in the morning hours. Of course, there's two ways to die. Either in heaven or in hell. Through resurrection with their failure in the second death. On the night of the second mountain, we have to face all of our evilness within the ego and the three brains. Intellectual brain, emotional brain, motor instinctive sexual brain, which are represented by the elements of the cross as we can see in this image. We have 22 Hebrew letters, the 22 archetypes, laws of the Torah, the Tarot, the law, surrounding the Shoshona, 
the rose of spirituality blossoming. Aleph, Shin, Mem reminds us of the figure eight, which again are represented and repeated in this act and all throughout the opera, but in greater hierarchies, greater octaves. Aleph relates to the intellectual brain. Shin relates to the emotional brain. And Mem relates to the motor instinctive sexual brain. It is through these three centers that we are tempted in the physical plane and in the internal planes by the demons of the Black Lodge. More importantly, we are tempted by our own ego that doesn't want us to enter the work or finish the work if we reach that point. The very terrible ordeals one must face, which you've seen in this act, specifically and only applies by rising up to the ten sephiroth, the ten days of Yom Kippur. Only by atoning for all of our egos through meditation and death do we have the right to resurrect, to achieve the day of atonement. Once the sun rises, symbolizing the resurrection of Christ in us. The tree of life, the ten sephiroth, represent the different characters of this drama. We've spoken extensively about Timur, Leu, Caliph, as well as the Emperor Altum, the latter representing Keter, the Solar Logos. The Divine Mother Turundo is Bina, the Holy Spirit. Yodchava, Jehovah, relates to Chokmah, Christ. Yodhe, Vavhe. We say Hashem out of respect for Jehovah, but really the name is Yod Chava. Yod, the head, Chava, sex. That is the mystery of Caliph's name. They constantly ask him, What is your name? Give us your secret. His secret is, he raises the power of Chava to Yod. This is the secret of chastity. But the opposite path that of fornication, is followed by a demon named Chavayot. He's a backwards being whose Chava, sex, is governing his Yod, his head, through lust. The name Yod Chava represents how you raise the powers of sex to the brain as an angel, as a master. So all the servants of Kali, the inverted serpent, represented by the negative or severe side of Turandot's character, seek to find out the secret of the initiate on the second mountain. This includes all the people of Peking, and also the main counselors, Ping, Pang, and Pong, the forces of Diablo, the devil, who seek to pull us from the path, or pull those masters at that level into the abyss. This drama has been beautifully depicted in the story of Samson, Samson allowed himself to be put asleep by Delilah. Lila means night in Hebrew. And Dalet is the doorway into the infernal worlds, the night. Samson gave away his secret, his chastity, by unveiling how, by cutting his hair, he would be conquered. He loses his strength by admitting his secret, whereby in his weakness he was seized by the Philistines, all his egos. When they cut his hair, the Philistines blinded him. Meaning that if we fail to maintain chastity at that level, but give in to the ego and fornication, then one is spiritually blinded. 
You must remember that Samson was a giant, a great warrior, a master of Tifereth. But who fell? Who chose to fornicate after reaching that point? Samson reminds us of Shemesh, which in Hebrew means sun, S-U-N, and Aon, sexual strength. So the power of the sun was castrated in him, a symbol of how any initiate who does not know how to keep his secret, his purity, ends up being swallowed by the moon, Lila, the night. Likewise, the princess Turandot represents both the solar and the lunar serpents. Or in other words, the serpent is represented dualistically. Her servants are trying to find out Caliph's name so that they can kill him. This is precisely the great drama of this act. Will he in the end marry Turandot or will he enter devolution? So, as we discuss in Act 1 and 2 of this opera, the three mother letters of Kabbalah run thematically throughout this work. Aleph, Shin, Mem are hinted at, even represented by the name Shamshun, Samson, Shin and Mem, but also Aon, with a silent Aleph, are hidden in this name. The occult significance of this biblical character shows that if we don't use the three brains correctly, Aleph in the head, Shin in the heart, Mem in the sex, we're going to fail. So it takes great equilibrium and balance at that degree, especially to not be tempted by the forces of darkness, since they fight very diligently to pull the initiate. You see this not only in this opera, but also in stories like the Pisces Sophia, in which Sophia seeks to return to the source of Pleroma, but is constantly afflicted. She wants to return to the light, but can't. She is denied every step of her path. But of course, it is that path of denial in overcoming those temptations that one succeeds. In the story of Samson, we find that many initiates fail. But in this opera, we have a very different story. We're going to look at the name Caliph in relation to the Zohar, a very beautiful, profound, esoteric book that is the spirit of the doctrine and explains categorically, distinctly, all the elements of the books of Genesis in detail through commentary. So the name Caliphs literally is spelled in Hebrew, Kaf, Lamed, Pei. And we find a reference to the name Kol, Kaf Lamed, in the Zohar, which partially constitutes the name of the prince, which everyone seeks to know from the Zohar. Let there be light, namely El Gadol, great God. Gedolah is the spirit in Hebrew, chesed, mercy. The mystery emerging from the primordial aura, Vayehi, and there was. Mystery of darkness called Elohim. Light, left merging in right. Then from the mystery of El came to be Elohim. Right merging left, left and right. In order to understand this better, we're going to refer to the tree of life, specifically the left and right pillars we've been discussing extensively. In the left pillar, we have all the forces of Binah 
that descend into the infernal planes. That is why Turndo is dualistic. In heaven, she is Kundalini. But when she's channeled through our ego, she becomes Kunda Buffer, the tale of demons, the Lucifers, the black magicians. The right pillar in the tree of life relates to mercy, the left is severity. The force of Chokmah, Christ, descends from the right pillar down to Yesod. And that is why the Christic energies are linked to our sexual force, our sexual drive, or why the secret of Hashem is found within Yesod. So, on the left pillar of the tree of life, we have three sephirot that relate to certain names in Hebrew in the world of Atzilut, the world of archetypes, because every sephirot on the tree of life relates to a sacred name. The sacred name for Binah and Kabbalah is Jehovah Elohim. The sacred name of Geburah and Kabbalah is Elohim Gibur, the strength of God, or the strength of the gods and goddesses. And then Hod relates to Elohim Sabaoth. So we find Elohim represented in the left pillar. In the right pillar, we're referring to El, because the right is masculine, while the feminine left pillar relates to all the forces of the divine life that specifically descends in us, but also to hell. When the serpentine sexual energy descends, it becomes the tale of demons. Ida is the fallen serpent in us that we must raise. And it is through a marriage in which that left serpent unites with the right serpent. Back, up the head. Because in most people, clairvoyantly, they have that Kundabuffer tail very strong. But the body of an alchemist has that energy ascending up to the head through Ida and Pingala. Therefore, let there be light means how our own spirit works within the darkness of our psyche. In the Kabbalah, Ruach Elohim, the spirit of God, Chesed, works with the waters of Genesis in order to conquer the left pillar. By combining the two pillars, male-female, by working in a marriage, El becomes Elohim because Eloah means goddess. El is God masculine. Unite them in a marriage, you have Elohim. So Yod Mem is masculine plural. And here Elohim literally means gods and goddesses. Because when a husband and wife are united sexually, they have the power to create life. They are a god and a goddess at that moment. But the problem is temptation. The serpent of Eden. The fallen serpent pushes the couple to engage in the forbidden fruit the orgasm. That is how they lose everything. Light, left emerging right. And then from the mystery of El came to be Elohim, right emerging and left, left and right. There's also a quote, I believe, in the Song of Songs, as we stated previously, in which Solomon describes this dynamic from chapter 2, verses 3 through 6. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood so is my beloved among the songs. I sat down under his shadow with great light, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. If you read Igneous Rose, we know that the apple tree represents the Glorian, Christ, which is related to the Ain Sof, the Absolute. From Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 4. 
He brought me to the banqueting house and his banner over me was love. Meaning, chastity, the banquet of the Lamb. From Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 5. Stay me with flagons, cover me with apples, for I am sick of love, or sick from love. This indicates that the alchemist is so in love with divinity that one is even considered ill by this society. Just as everyone condemned Prince Caliph for wanting to enter the funereal trials of Devi Kundalini in Act 1. Stay me with flagons means to stay with the wine of transmutation, no matter what. To be faithful to and enjoy the delights of sexual alchemy. And then, from the Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 6, His left hand is under my head, and his right hand doth embrace me. The left pillar is what sustains the initiates. They must control the left foot, psychologically speaking. Because the Master Samael and Vior mentions in the Pisces Sophia that the Bodhisattva must learn to walk on two feet, symbolically. On the right are the Gnostics, the sheep. On the left are the demons, the goats. Sheep and goats, right and left. But a Bodhisattva is neither a saint nor a demon. He or she goes beyond good and evil to return to the Absolute as a master of the day. That term is used by Blavatsky in The Voice of the Silence, but also by Samael and Vior. The term day in Hebrew is Yom. Those who attain Yom Kippur, perfection in initiation and mastery. So the left pillar sustains, which is why Leu, Geburah, the divine soul in the beginning of Act 1, is the one who says to the multitudes, How my master is fallen, will someone raise him for me? Which is why Caliph jumps in and sings, Padre mio padre, my father, my father, I found you again. The power of Geburah, justice, is how we raise ourselves up through the Martian strength of Christ, back to the source. The right hand is what caresses, because the right pillar is mercy, while the left hand or left pillar supports the master. This dynamic of mercy and justice reaches equilibrium in Tifereth within the soul, Caliph. As we state in the invocation of Solomon the Wise, Mercy and justice, be ye the equilibrium and the splendor of my life. One of the many translations or meanings of the word Tifereth is splendor. The following is from the Zohar. God saw that the light was good. From Genesis chapter 1 verse 4. The central pillar. Good illumining above and below in all directions. Through the mystery of Jehovah. The name embracing all sides. So why is it that the central pillar is the light of radiance. That sustains the whole tree of life. It's because the word tifaret literally sounds like tif aor ret. Aor is the light in the central pillar. In the very middle of this diagram where we find the Prince Caliph, the human soul, our crucified will. That is the very one who is responsible for balancing all the forces of the tree of life. The light of Christ, Jehovah, or Chokmah, and the powers of Chesed reach balance in Tifereth. Tif, 
Aor, Ret. Likewise, Aima and Abba Elohim, the Divine Mother of the Holy Spirit and Binah, find their equilibrium or center of gravity here within the heart. The secret name of Tiferet in Hebrew is Eloah Vadat Yot He Vauhe. We find Eloah Vadat, Goddess of Knowledge, the Divine Mother, and Hashem, the appellation of Yot Chava. Christ and the Divine Mother are balanced in Tiferet. The Prince Caliph represents this because in the very opening of Act 3, he says, No one shall ever know my name, my secret, Hashem, my light. And he seeks to fully eradicate desire so that he can return through Da'at, sexual alchemy, through marriage with Binah. Therefore, Puccini is showing us how the central pillar of the tree of life orients everything. This whole opera is fixated on the Prince Caliph because he is Christ's will. Christ's will is how we achieve resurrection through death of the ego. From the Zohar, God separated the light from the darkness, dissipating discord so that all would be perfect. This is a symbol of how in the inferno we extract the light from each ego in order to be fully radically dead. From the Zohar. God called the light day. What does called mean? He called forth and summoned this perfect light, standing in the center to emit a radiance, foundation of the world, upon which worlds are established. From that perfect light, the central pillar extended Yesoda, foundation, vitality of the worlds, day from the right side. As I said, Yesod receives all the forces from Chukmah, Chesed, Netzach, down the tree of life. That light must be extracted from the darkness within our own internal infernos, within our own lunar, mercurial, Venusian, solar, etc. infernos. Likewise, all the way down into the Neptunian house, the inverted Sephiroth called the tree of death or tree of Zakum in the Quran from the Zohar. And the darkness he called light. He called for something that generated from the side of darkness a female, the moon ruling by night, called night. Mystery of Adonai, Adon, Lord of all the earth, from Joshua chapter 3, verse 11. The word from Malkut and Kabbalah, the sacred name of Malkut in the world of Atsilut, is Adonai Haaretz. Adonai reminds us of the Lord. When you say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, you're saying, Blessed is the name of the Lord. Adonai should be better read as Adonia, meaning lady, or the beautiful Greek child Adonis. Adonia is the Kundalini in Malkut. Since the earth or physical vehicle receives all the forces from above, so that through the Lord of the earth, by conquering this body and fornication, we can achieve resurrection. Adonai also relates to the lunar forces, which influence Malkut. Since Yesod is the second to the bottom sephirah on the tree of life, it is also already well documented how our physical moon influences many aspects of life on earth, such as tides, menstruation in women, 
vegetation, animal life, etc. In the conjuration of the seven, we pray in the name of Gabriel, the region of the moon or lunar ray. May Adonai command thee and draw thee hence Bael. Adonai and Bael mean both, Lord. The former is heavenly, the other is demonic. Or, Kundalini above, Kundalini buffer below. Adonai is the mystery of the moon ruling by night. Since by working with the lunar forces of Yesod, we become a lord of the night in a positive sense. We conquer the night in ourselves by annihilating the ego on the second mountain, the darkness of Act 3. You notice that in the opera, Prince Caliph is singing to the stars. He is in Malkut, preparing to go into his own infernos. Because all the temptations of the society in this world, in Malkut, or within the inverted Sephiroth of hell, is where we face great battles, great ordeals. The opposite of Adonai Haaretz, the Kundalini, is the Kundabuffer, which is why the Prince Caliph worships the Lord, or Adonia, his Divine Mother, in this great aria, Nesun Dorma, which we're going to be examining. Adonia is precisely the name of the Kundalini, the goddess of the earth, who can take Caliph out of hell and into paradise. From the Zohar. The right entered that perfect pillar in the center, embracing the mystery of the left, and ascended to the primordial point, grasping there the power of three points, Cholem, Shuruk, Hidek, seed of holiness, for without this mystery no seed is sown. We just spoke about how the power of Yasod is the foundation of our temple. It is the motor instinctive sexual brain, the temple of Peter, the Gnostic Church, which the enemies of God tried to prevent us from entering. There are three diacritical marks in Hebrew known as Cholem, Shuruk, and Hirek. These are points that you put on the original Hebrew in order to pronounce vowels. You have three vowels, literally Eh within Cherek, U within Shuruk, and O within Cholem. These vowels are below, middle, and above, respectively. This reminds us of the three brains through which our cosmic alphabet is developed. The Hebrew letters represent forces, principles that we can work with. So when we grasp the power of the three points, intellectual brain, emotional brain, motor instinctive sexual brain, we work with the seed of holiness, the power of Yasod. For without this mystery, no seed is sown. And we find in this opera three temptations, ordeals, that the prince must face in Act 3 from the Zohar. All is united in the central pillar, generating the foundation of the world, who is therefore called Kol, Kaf Lamed, K-O-L, which translates as all, or we could also say totality. For he embraces all in a radiance of desire. What is this radiance of desire? The Ark. The name of Caliph resides in Da'at, the center of the tree of life, in Tifereth, balanced by Yesod, the foundation, which is the secret, his chastity. He had the letter F or Pe in Hebrew. 
It refers to speech, the mouth. When you're working within a matrimony and you're pronouncing sacred mantras in the sexual act, you're working with the power of all through the word, through da'at. And why is it that kol, kaf lamed, reminds us of all totality? As Samalan Vyar stated in his books, the act of sexual magic is the key of, to all empires, the key to all kingdoms. Every universe is formed through moving with the sexual energy, the power of Lucifer. When we work with pay, coal becomes caliph. Since the energies of sex are sublimated to the heart through mantras, that divine energy also only rises in accordance with the merits of the heart, as Samayang on Vior stated in The Perfect Matrimony. You cannot work with the serpent Kundalini and raise it up the spine without earning it in your emotional center through ordeals, through the development of virtues. And so this is where Kol, Kaflamed, all, embraces all in a radiance of desire. And the word desire typically refers to ego. But in this case, in a poetic way, we could say Desire refers to divine longing. Tifereth embraces all, the sephiroth of the tree of life, because it is through our human will, our spiritual inquietudes, in which we learn to find integration of the soul with the being. From the Zohar. The left blazed potently, inhaling, inhaling fragrance of all those rungs. Out of that blazing flame, He generated the female, the moon. That blaze was dark, deriving from darkness. These two sides generated these two rungs, one male and one female. In the sexual act, the lust pillar becomes the flame. The power of darkness becomes active. And it is by conquering the ego in a marriage in those precise moments of temptation, in which we learn to inhale the fragrance or aroma of the tree of life, but without eating its fruit. This is symbolic of renouncing and eliminating the orgasm. Out of that blazing flame of the sexual furnace, the moon is generated. Because as Samayan Vayar mentions, the moon represents the ego. When you're inflamed in a marriage in the sexual act, we must face the moon, our own darkness our own mind. From the Zohar. Foundation was linked to the central pillar by the increase of light within it. For as the central pillar was consummated, pacifying all sides, its radiance was increased from above, from all sides and all-encompassing joy. Out of that increased joy emerged the foundations of the world called increase. The word increase in Hebrew is musaf, mem, vav, samek, pe, or fe. Which reminds us of Joseph, Yosef, Yesod. Joseph represents the power of Yesod, primarily because he was thrown into a well by his brothers, the well of Yesod, the sexual energies, the waters. And he had to escape and face imprisonment in Egypt 
certain sexual temptations in order to be rewarded by God, by his being. The term Egypt is never used in the Bible, since the original Hebrew word is Mitzrahim, literally translating as the place between the waters. This is a symbol not only of the whole planet Earth, but our physicality, which enslaves the soul through lust, desire, fornication. Ordeals usually take place in the physical plane, whereby we must define ourselves through how we use our sexual waters, our energies. From the Zohar. From here emerges all forces below and holy spirits and souls from the mystery of Yodchava Sabaot, Lord of Hosts. El Elohai Ha Ruchot, God, God of Spirits. From the Zohar. The name Caliph in Sufi terms is the lost word. The lost word is mentioned by Samael and Vior in certain books such as Igneous Rose. It is the Christ energy that has been lost in humanity and lost to our soul because we fail to perform the work. The lost word reminds us also of the fifth day of Genesis. The term Levitanim is translated as the great whales or the great sea monsters, which bears profound esoteric significance. Uh, significance. These are the serpents of fire, which we raise in the perfect matrimony. Tanim is a word that relates to whales specifically. If you add the word Levi in front of it, Lamed Vav Yod, you make Levitanim. You spell Leviathan. A Leviathan is a great master of the fifth initiation of major mysteries, one who has been purified in the tribe of Levi, the path of the apostles and initiates. When you incarnate Christ, you receive the lost word. But to reach that point, you must be swallowed by the serpent up to at least Tifereth, the human soul. And so the lost word is found in any master who incarnates Chokmah, which we saw in Act 2. In the words of Samael and Vior and Igneous Rose, God created everything with a lost word. The masters that live in Asia have this word very well guarded. A great philosopher once said, search for it in China, and maybe you'll find it in the great Tartar. The lost word is like a gigantic fish, Leviathan, half blue, half green, emerging from the depth of the ocean. So what does that mean to be a gigantic fish? It is to be a master of Tifereth, the Middle East. Whosoever knows, the word gives power to. No one has uttered it. No one will utter it, except the one who has it incarnated, the word, the Christ. This is a saying from Master Hurokocha, who was the teacher of Samael and Vior. The word Asia, you can say, is the word Asia and Kabbalah. The great masters of the Middle East have this word very well guarded. The term Asia is used, but really Asia should be Asia, since the world of Asia is Malkut, the world of matter and action. We could say that Yetzirah, the world of formation, 
relates to the lower trinity of the tree of life. The world of Bria relates to the middle trinity of the tree of life. Atsilut relates to the top trinity, the three primary forces. Asiya, the world of matter and action, is where we must face temptation, in which we must guard our secret, our chastity. The Gnostic Bible, the Pisces Sophia Unveiled, also mentions that one must incarnate the mysteries of the light to follow the mysteries of our inner name, our inner God. Every one of us has our own inner spirit, and our spirit has his own divine name, spiritual name. And personally, I know the name of my being, but I won't tell anyone because it's no one's business. I seek to be humble, not because in all of us the being is great, is holy, divine, but we are not. It's ironic that certain people in this movement commonly and frequently proclaim themselves to be the master so-and-so. I'm the master X. Follow me. And many people get caught up in politics within groups, identifying with certain people who say they're the master so-and-so. It may be true that the being is a master, but this does not mean that the human soul is. Even if you reach Tifereth, the fifth initiation of fire, one is a master at that level. But spiritually, the being is the master, not us. So it's ironic that people get caught up in pronouncing eloquent names and spiritual names of God, giving away their secret to humanity. Caliph, or better said, Puccini, and many others knew that the way to resurrect is by not talking so much about one's development, but keeping that a secret. Many so-called Gnostics get caught up in this. Many people follow such individuals who say they are the master so-and-so, and then get stuck in groups, politics, debates. But the real way to enter initiation is to keep this secret, the lost word, guarded in Asya, the physical plane. And in the Pisces of Sophia, we must face all the temptations in Asya and the repentance of Sophia in Klipot. In Kabbalah, God creates through Bria. The forces of the top trinity of the tree of life create through alchemy, through Da'at, in order to create the spirit, the divine soul, and the human soul. And the human soul must give form to a solar mind, solar astral body, solar vital body, and transform the physical body into a solar being, a Christic being. It is by entering the second mountain in which we ascend these nine sephiroth, the heavens, and prepare for resurrection. We have a beautiful teaching of the Sufis, which explain this very cryptic teaching of the Middle East, how one must find the lost word. Search for it in China, and maybe you'll find it even in the Great Tartar. Idris Shah explains some very beautiful things about the mysteries of the lost word that we're going to elaborate upon and explain in relation to the opera we are studying. From the book, The Sufis of the Coleman or the chapter known as the Coleman. Seek knowledge, even as far as China. The phrase which is on all Sufi lips has more than a literal or even a figurative sense. This meaning is unlocked by analyzing the word or the use of the word China, interpreted through the secret language, which we say is Kabbalah. 
In Arabic, it is the Abjad system. It's the same as the Hebraic Kabbalah. We can say that certain letters represent certain principles. Prince Caliph is in China, and everyone is trying to find out his name, the lost word. Seek for knowledge even in China, and maybe you'll find it in the great Tartar. Remember that Caliph is the exiled prince of Tartary. China is a code word for mind concentration. One of the Sufi practices, an essential prerequisite to Sufic development. The phrase is important partly because it provides an example of the coincidence and interpretation possible in either the Arabic or Persian languages. Neither has any real connection with the other. The fact that the word for China, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the fact that the word for China, in both, though spelled and pronounced differently, decodes to substantially the same concept, invests this phrase with a special significance for the Sufi. China, in Arabic, sin, letter sad, ya, nun. Equivalent numbers, 90, 10, 50. Total, these letters yield the number 150. Splitting by hundreds, tens, and units, 100 plus 50, no units remain. Retranslated into numbers, 100, Q, plus 50, N. Q and N, Recombined from a word QN. The word QN in the form of Khan represents in Arabic the concept of scrutinizing, observing, and is therefore taken as a symbol of concentration, focus. The injunction now reads, seek knowledge even as far as concentration of the mind. Prince Caliph is in China. He is in his own infernos, his own Tartarus his hells, in which he must discriminate amongst all the people of Peking, all of his defects, to catch them in action, to understand them, so that by comprehending, he may eliminate through the Divine Mother. In order to achieve knowledge, one must work in da'at, in alchemy. One must work diligently in the full death of desire. China, in Persian, Qin, letters Che, Ya, Nun, Equivalent numbers, 3, 10, 50. Before translating into numbers, the Persian letter Che is first exchanged for its nearest equivalent in the Abjad scheme, which is J. The three sums totaled, 3 plus 10 plus 50, equals 63. Separated into tens and units, 60 plus 3. These numbers retranslated into letters, 60, Sin, 3, Jim. The word we now have to determine a combination, or is a combination of S and J, pronounced Saj, means to plaster or coat as with clay. Reverse the order of the letters, a permissible change, one of very few allowed by the rules, and we have the word JS. The word is pronounced Jas. This means to inquire after a thing, to scrutinize hidden things, to ascertain news. This is the root of the word for espionage. And hence the Sufi is called the spy of the heart. To the Sufi, their scrutinization for the purpose of ascertaining hidden things is an equivalent, poetically speaking, with a motive for concentrating the mind. That was from Idris Shah's book, The Sufis, the chapter called The Coleman.
So you see in this opera how Prince Caliph is scrutinizing his foes, who all want to find out his name, his secret. He is literally in China. Sin, which reminds us of Sayin, the lowest hell on the Quran, specifically referenced in Surah 83, Al-Mutafifin, the, the defrauding. We find a profound teaching about the word Sayin, wherein resides the book of the lost ones. The opposite is the realm of Iliun, the highest heaven, wherein resides the book of the pious. From the Surah 83, verses 7 through 12. Al Mutafifin, the defrauding. The record of the wicked is indeed in Sain, Sin, Sina, China. And what can make you know what is in Sain? It is a written record. Woe to the deniers in that day who deny the day of retribution, or better said, the day of atonement, resurrection. And none denies it except for every sinful transgressor. The following is from verses 18 to 23 from the same surah. And the record of the pious is indeed in Elyun. And what can make you know what is in Elyun? It is a written record witnessed by those brought near to Allah. Indeed, the pious shall be among bliss, observing as they recline on couches. Elyun can refer to a mountaintop, the heights of the Empyrean, the tree of life. Sain refers to the lowest hells. So seek knowledge even in China. Sain. And maybe you'll find it in the great Tartarus. Because by learning to go through your own hells with discrimination is how you develop the spirit, how you will resurrect. The only way to climb the mountain of resurrection is by precisely facing all our defects. Every ascent is preceded by a terrible, frightful descent, humiliation. Even the word sin in English comes from this etymology. Sin is an archery term in which, when you're firing towards a center target, you veer off to the left. To sin Kabbalistically is to fall through the left pillar, to go down the tree of life into Klippot. That's how you enter devolution, what it means to sin. In this work, we must learn to descend into China, China, Sain, hell, but without sinning without sin, to not identify with those realms. A descent is much different than a fall. To descend is to face all our own evilness with responsibility, to comprehend and annihilate the ego. To fall is to fornicate, to abuse the energies of the left pillar of the tree of life, and therefore remain in clipot without light. We said that China is the heavenly kingdom, but in us, our heaven is trapped in hell, as indicated in the Arabic Kabbalah. All our parts of our soul are trapped in the ego. And if we wish to achieve the resurrection mentioned in the Quran, we need to atone for our defects to the second mountain, purgatory, the ten days of Yom Kippur. Therefore, John Milton stated in Paradise Lost, the mind is its own place. It can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. So the inferno is the womb of heaven, says Samael and Vior extensively, because it is only by descending into our own darkness, like Caleb does in Act 3, by which he develops heaven in himself, by guarding the lost word, his secret. 
Search for it in China with discrimination. And maybe you'll find the truth, the lost word, the great Tartarus, the inferno. Which is what Caliph is doing. He's facing all the temptations of his mind and is rejecting Klipot. When in hell we must discriminate what we see with meditation. To not be confused by our own mind or the black magicians. Therefore Tifereth, Prince Caliph, gets confronted by Ping, Pang, and Pong. E-A-O, the forces of Diablo, the devil. We mentioned that Tifereth, Prince Caliph, already achieved mastery. In terms of Freemasonry, he was an adeptus minor. But now he is preparing for perfection and mastery to perform the biblical exodus, Shemot in Hebrew. In order to perform the exodus, which is the return of all the parts of Israel, the soul, the divine, we must reach Tifereth first. Only by working with Hashem, Aleph, Shin, Mem, by creating the solar bodies, especially the solar causal body, our own inner Moses, can we incarnate Christ, the lost word, Hashem. Remember that the three mother letters of Kabbalah represent Hashem, and that Hashem spelled backwards is Moshe, Moses. Only by entering the direct path, by descending into Klipot, can we truly incarnate Christ. That is the work of Moses, of the Exodus. We must return to Israel, the Absolute, because we are in exile. But now the Prince Caliph will enter the Exodus through the revolution of the consciousness by freeing all the parts of his soul from hell. It's very interesting that the book of Exodus is really Shemot, the book of names, since the word Shem means name in Hebrew. Vav, Tav is feminine plural. The way that we return to the promised land and marry the divine princess Turndo, Shekinah, is by guarding our name in the abyss, by freeing the Israelites or parts of the soul that are trapped in sin, Sain, China. In the story of Samson and Delilah, Prince Caliph must renounce all the offerings of the darkness, which is why Eliphaz Levi stated, Woe to the Samson of the Kabbalah if he allows himself to be put asleep by the sinful Delilah. Therefore, in the opera, Prince Caliph says, No man shall sleep. He will not enter the doorway of the night. When the Caliph sings this most famous aria to the stars, we are reminded of the Quran and the teachings of the Middle Eastern Sufis. Caliph sings, No man, uh, no man shall sleep. He's singing to the stars of Urania, the Divine Mother Nut, the cosmic space. As stated in Al-Anam, the cattle, Surah 69, verse 7. It is he who placed for you the stars, that you may be guided by them through the darkness of the land and sea. We have detailed the signs for people who know. The following verses from Surah 37, verses 4 through 6. Indeed, your God is one, Lord of the heavens and the earth, and that between them the Lord of the sun rises. Indeed, we have adorned the nearest heaven with an adornment of stars. 
In this recitation, this Quran, Prince Caliph is praying to the sky, the heavens during the hour of temptation, Lucifer Venus, which is or which occurs between three and four in the morning. This is when the forces of the Black Lodge are active in the astral atmosphere, which is why if you wake up in the astral dimension at those hours and are very weak with lust, it gets very dangerous because the demons will come after you. If we're diligent in working in chastity, being very strong in our practice, we can't be harmed. As you have seen in this opera, Prince Caliph is in ecstasy. He's performing a recitation, the Quran, in Arabic terms. He performs night vigil to speak, to pray, to communicate, to ask of his inner God for help during the hour of Lucifer Venus. Therefore, the Quran, Surat al-Isra, the night journey, verses 78-79 states, Establish prayer at the decline of the sun to, from its meridian until the darkness of the night, and also the Quran of dawn. Indeed, the recitation of dawn is ever witnessed. And from that part of the night, pray with it as additional worship for you. It is expected that the Lord will resurrect you to a praise station. It's good to get in the habit of waking up very early, around 3 or 4 in the morning. If you get up naturally, that's even better. To do mantras, perform prayers. Then, go back to sleep. Awaken in the astral plane. You can experience very strong samadhis because you're channeling and conquering the energies of Lucifer. You're controlling your energies and the temptations of your mind. You can awaken a lot of consciousness that way. In that state, you can have certain blissful ecstasies in which you communicate with your inner Divine Mother. This is the occult significance of Prophet Muhammad's teaching on the night vigil to be resurrected to a praise station. The following is from Al-Buraj, The Constellations, Surah 85, verses 1-9. through By the sky containing great stars, and by the promised day, or the day of the resurrection, marriage with Devi Kundalini, Turno. And by the witness, and what is witnessed, cursed were the companions of the trench, containing a fire full of fuel, when they the fornicating people of Peking, were sitting near it, and they, to what they were doing against the believers, like Prince Caliph, were witnesses. And they resented them not, except they believed in Allah, exalted in might, the praiseworthy, to whom belongs the dominions of the heavens and the earth, and Allah over all things is witness. If you see stars in the astral plane, the mental plane, it means ascension, where the Divine Mother is showing you that your mind is clear and you're reflecting God inside. You see that firmament. As the Quran teaches, we give signs for those who have certainty in the astral plane, where you see certain astrological features like the moon, which means suffering, ego, pain, ordeals. A cloudy sky means too much ego, interfering with the intellect, too much rationalization, a cloudy mind. But a clear sky of stars is essential in which we're radically raising our level of being. Prince Caliph is in Samadhi, singing to his Divine Mother, 
in preparation for the second mountain. We find such ecstasy reflected in the practice of the mantras. O, Ao, Kakof, Na, Konsa. With which we began this meeting today. Let me remind you of the prayer we perform so we can connect it to this beautiful Arya, Nasundorma. Be thou, O Harit, my secret, the Gnostic mystery of my being, the central point of my connection, my heart itself. In bloom, like Shoshana, the rose of igneous flower of our spirituality, on my fertile lips made word, up above in the infinite heavens, in the profound height of the unknowable, the incessant glow of light is the naked beauty of Newt. She reclines, she bends a delectable ecstasy to receive the kiss and secret fervor of Harit. Harit is a representation of Bina, the Holy Spirit, the husband of the Divine Mother. We seek to unite with Devi Kundalini, to be so pure that we become one with the Holy Spirit. This can only occur through death of the ego. When we as Tifereth become united in Binah through resurrection. Binah is both masculine and feminine. Aima Elohim, the Divine Mother. And Abba Elohim, the Divine Father. The winged sphere and the blue of the sky are mine. O Ao Kakov Na Kon from an Egyptian Gnostic prayer. It's on the night of the second mountain where the Prince Kallus' heart is rich, inebriated with the hope of victory, when he says the following holy, ineffable words. None shall sleep, none shall sleep, for I have awakened to one of the mysteries of Da'at, even you, or Princess Kundalini, in your chaste bedroom, referring to the purified soul in the marriage room of alchemy, the bedroom, watch the stars, the firmament of Keter, that tremble with love and with hope. But my secret is hidden within me. No one will know my name, the secret of initiation or his name, the name of Tifereth in the world of Atsilut which can be translated as Eloah Vadat or Eloah Vadat Hashem, the name, the lost word. No, no, on your mouth I will say it. The mouth refers to Dat, mantralization, alchemy. I will say it when the light shines, when the word becomes flesh in me. We spoke essentially about the meaning of Hashem previously. Hashem contains breath, Aleph, Shin, Mem, air, fire, water, respectively. And when we work with the three brains, the three forces in us, we're working with Hashem, I, A, O, Christ, Ignis, Agua, Origo, fire, water, spirit. So he's praying to the night, his divine mother to prepare him for the death of the ego and resurrection. Of course, this aria is very well recited today, but people don't know the meaning of what it represents. 
Little do people see how Puccini beautifully synthesized Kabbalah, alchemy, Sufism, and the Hebrew letters. So as you can see, in order to understand this doctrine of this opera, we must know Kabbalah very well, very deeply. So in this aria, Caliph continues, And my kiss will dissolve the silence that makes you mine. Or his kiss upon the lips of the Divine Mother Death. Because through Da'at, the lips, is how one dies to the ego. Through comprehending and meditation, and then asking for annihilation. Or in the sexual act through mantra, through prayer, through devotion. The chorus sings afterward, No one will know his name. None shall discover the secret of his strength. And we, referring to the psychological aggregates we have inside, will have to die, to die. Caliph says, Vanish, O night. Night of Lilith and Nahema. <coughs> Set stars. Set stars. At dawn, resurrection, I will win. I will win. I will win. People want to know Caliph's name. The word Caliph reminds us of Caliph, a master of the Middle East, Tifereth. Since the sufferer is the east, but is also the middle of the tree of life. The sun rises in Tifereth, astrologically speaking, because it relates Kabbalistically to the sun. It also relates to Venus as well, the signs of love, the Venusic initiations we spoke about previously. So the prince is a master of the Middle East. And people want to know his secret. He is facing a similar situation to that of Odysseus in the Odyssey. When the Greek hero is questioned by Polyphemus, the Cyclops, in a barren island cave. What is your name? Odysseus says, I am nobody. One must not identify with the ego. One must cease to be what one is so as to become what one is not, to become the being, dying moment by moment through meditation, self-remembering, comprehension, prayer, and vigilance. When Polyphemus is blinded by Odysseus, the Greek hero escapes with his life and his crew. But he makes the mistake of taunting the giant, the animal ego. The Cyclops was a very clairvoyant ego with one giant eye, the third eye, a very big demon with powers in hell. Odysseus was taunting him, saying, I am Odysseus. But of course, whenever he would speak, Polyphemus would throw a giant rock and nearly crush his ship, since the giant could still hear. So the danger of the initiate at that level is hubris. Mystical pride, vanity, the assumption or futile belief that I am a master at that level, I am the master so-and-so, follow me. This becomes very dangerous for advanced practitioners to be very arrogant in a spiritual way, to be proud of one's height. 
Samar and Vior mentioned how in Igneous Rose, initiates must not get hypnotized by the vertigo of the heights. To assume that one is a great initiate, because only divinity is great. In the beginning, Odysseus blinds the giant and escapes. Or Polyphemus screams, nobody has blinded me. The funny part is that the other giants in the island say, okay, so what? Nobody has blinded you. It's a pun on words. But at the same time, it's a psychological truth. (coughs) Cease to be what you are. Be content with having no other identity but that of the being. If you reach that point, that level. If you become fascinated by your own pride, you will tumble into the abyss. And risk getting killed. Since the Cyclops, while blinded, can still hear you. The servants of Kali, the darkness, the Divine Mother Death of the Inferno, are led by Ping, Pang, and Pong. E, A, O. Literally, the vowels of their names are the vowels of Diablo, the devil. First thing they tell him is, divert your gaze from the stars and look down here. This is very interesting. We find in Surah 6 of the Quran, verses 3-4, Surat Al-Anam. And he is Allah, the only deity in the heavens and the earth. He knows your secret and what you make public, and he knows that which you earn. So from your actions, your virtues, your defects. And no sign comes to them from the signs of the Lord, except they turn away therefrom. Meaning, they turn away from the Divine Mother, the sacred cow of Kabbalah. La Baca, in Spanish, the cow spells Kabbalah backwards, the mother of the Torah, the second arcanum. There's also another verse relating to this dynamic, where they tell him, look down from the sky. They want Caliph to turn away from the signs of God, and look down at what's going on in Klipot, through temptation. The Quran and Surat Al-Hajj, verse 66, states, And he is the one who gave you life and causes you to die, and they will again give you life. Indeed, mankind is ever ungrateful. This verse deserves Kabbalistic analysis. Since many people interpret things literally. The being gives life to the mountain of initiation. Through Rosh Hashanah, or the serpents of fire and light. And then he causes you to die on the second mountain through Yom Kippur. Then he will raise you again through resurrection. But mankind is always ungrateful because even masters of that level still have defects to work upon. This verse reminds me of an experience I had many years ago. So if I'm relating this to you about the stars, it's because I've had that many experiences where my Divine Mother was showing me my own heavens, heavenly being or ascension. I remember one occasion waking up at 4 a.m. to meditate and then falling asleep again. I saw the stars in the sky. Beautiful, glittering stars. Very divine. But then my ego was pulling me from, from the superior astral plane to the inferior astral plane. I entered limbo, klipot, the lunar sphere. When my ego invoked a big demon, whose name I will not relate here. This monster, this giant demon was like Polyphemus, a cyclopean beast. 
He was trying to convert me, but I fought my way out of his grasp as he was trying to tempt me to drag me further down into the hell realms. Fortunately, I received divine aid and was able to escape. So I remember that phrase from the Quran very much, with a lot of pain. Surely we give signs unto you as a sign of certainty, but many are they who are ungrateful. I realize that my ego makes me very ungrateful. We must work hard on our ego so that we don't enter temptation, so that we cannot be misled in the internal worlds. E, A, O, Diablo. Ping, Pang, Pong. Present before the initiate three more ordeals. Three temptations relating once again to our three brains. In preparation for our resurrection, Lucifer provides the most intense and difficult ordeals. To understand this part of the opera, you have to remember the book of Job. How Jehovah spoke to Satan and said, Truly, my servant Job is the most humble, the best, the greatest. And of course, Satan says, Yeah, yeah, he praises you. But if you give me the opportunity to make him suffer, he will curse you to your face. And Jehovah said, So be it. Tempt him. But do not let him die. And of course, the book of Job is very short but very beautifully depicts the end of the path through the process of resurrection, in which the initiate must face criticism and doubt, pain and sickness and disease and suffering, and pay all his or her karma at the very end, to the point that even Job's wife and family were against him, telling him, why don't you curse God? And he says, naked I was born, and naked do I return into the womb of the earth. God is just. And the initiate pays all his karma successively, if done with acceptance and humility. There are eight years of trial and tribulation after Job annihilates the ego. Afterward, one must face certain ordeals, certain sicknesses, and illnesses that result in death, physically speaking. Of course, the initiate also faces other ordeals relating to the three brains. We find that riches, money, materialism, and jewels are presented to the initiate caliph, which relate to Mammon, the mind. They use these jewels and say, take all this treasure and go on a journey anywhere you want. Do whatever you want. Take these fragments of stars, they say, and the jewels. Of course, it's a very profound symbol in the Quran, because stars are from above. But in hell, those energies channeled become fragments, broken. So they're telling him, don't look up there at Christ. Come down with us in Klipot. In the experience I had where I got sucked down into the infernal plains, I had to fight very hard to get out. But I did. Because at that moment I was praying a lot and I felt a lot of remorse. There was a certain demon whose name I won't mention who took me and awoke me in hell. Because I have that ego inside. Very strong. But I prayed to my divine mother, my divine father, help me get out. I woke up in my body and I was Felt terrible. I remember falling asleep again and being in my bedroom in the astral plane reading the Quran. But instead of seeing literal verses, I saw symbols, images. And my physical father, my divine father in the form of my physical father, came up to me in the astral plane, just smiled, and walked away because I was studying with a lot of love and devotion. I also remember seeing the images of that demon who pulled me down and took Lipot. 
He was a giant golem. Bigger than this singling. Like 15 feet tall. A big rock giant. And in the Quran, I saw the symbol of the infidels. Al-Kafirin in Arabic. Remember we said early in our previous lecture on the Tarot, Kaf is the intellect, the cave in which the demons dwell, down in the hell realms. There's even a surah in the Quran called Al-Kaf, the cave, which indicates how the Hebrew Kaf or Arabic Kaf had the same Kabbalistic meaning. It's funny, because my physical father has a complete aversion to Islam. Very fearful of that religion. But in my dream, my divine father was showing me in the form of my physical father. Read the Quran when you are tempted. The Prince Caliph opposes the golden calf, money, materialism, hell. The golden calf literally sounds like caliph. That's the opposite of the prince. So they offer him gold and money, but he refuses. They offer him women, travels, eroticism, lust, sexual perversity, and passion related to the motor instinctive sexual brain. The first ordeal related to money is the intellect. Because the mind is always wanting money to sustain itself. But the temptations of the body are related to the motor instinctive sexual brain. Women of fascinating fatal beauty hidden beneath their veils tempt the initiate in the physical and internal worlds. The counselors say, take their veils off. But of course, these are the veils of hell, klipot in which one only finds more and more suffering until one is disintegrated in that region. This is the opposite to the veil of Isis, in which one tears it through resurrection to go to the source, the Absolute. So, Caliph denies them too. Ping, pang, pong, beg the prince that Turandot is sleepless and unrelenting. This shows us how the Black Lodge accuses us of being cruel, of being evil, because they think the prince should die and not them. And of course, this reminds us of the story from the Pisces Sophia, in which Hitler met a Superman. Hitler was an awakened sorcerer, a black magician at that point, and he declared that he was filled with terror before a Superman filled with a lot of light. The demons think the masters of the straight path are very evil, because they don't follow the devolving forces. However, neither are the saints followers of the straight path, and therefore the saints don't understand them either. They follow the path of the right. One must follow the path of the middle to achieve self-realization of Turndo. But of course, when we follow the revolutionary path, we are accused of being cruel, demonic, by both the sheep and the goats. Lucifer is always providing those temptations, mentally, emotionally, physically. And some island Vera wrote that the worst ordeals are not just brain against sex, sex against brain. Fighting against your lust in the sexual act is hard. But the worst ordeals involve heart against heart, the emotional brain, the emotional center. There are certain traumas or betrayals which are very painful, very difficult. Which is why at this point in the opera, Turndo's guards bring out his father, Timur, and the servant Leu, threatening their lives if they don't provide Caliph's name. So Caliph says he doesn't know them. Which, as a simple plot point, makes sense. He's trying to protect his father and the servant. But at a deeper esoteric level, he's saying, I don't know them. He's saying, I don't know my being completely yet. As Sam Ayanvera wrote in The Perfect Matrimony, 
you know, a resurrected friend of his who said that only those who have swallowed soil, achieved resurrection, know anything. Before that, one is only a fool. At that level, you know, the master has a lot of light. It is developing more and more wisdom. However, they basically still don't know the being yet until resurrection. So a lot of trial, temptation, and pain is involved. But he says, I don't know them. And while on one level this is showing that he's protecting his family and his father and his servant, it also shows us the virtue that we need at this point in the path, which is silence. Silence doesn't just refer to how we relate to people in the external plane. It's not about not talking to people. It means that psychologically we're silent. No mind. No disturbance. With serenity and insight, we cut through illusion like Manjushri soared into the depths of hell in order to conquer all that evilness. Because if we identify with ourselves and with our mind, we enter Klipot. So patience and tenacity are the two virtues needed on the second mountain, according to Samayan Vior. The magician must know how to be silent, know how to abstain, know how to suffer, and know how to die to the ego. It's at this point in time when the servant Leu Giburah provides a profound sacrifice, which is personally one of my favorite parts of this whole opera. Leu, the divine soul, tells the audience, I know his name, but I will not tell it to you. I will keep his secret with me. Of course, this is a symbol of how the divine soul interferes and descends into the initiate on the second mountain in order to help. The divine soul, Geburah, relates to Mars and the sun, since the divine soul is like unto the solar logos. She teaches the audience through her sacrifice the path of mystical death. She says, His secret is with me, because the sun, the solar logos, the mysteries of Hashem, Yod Chava, is within her. The divine soul, according to Samayan Vior, absorbs all the principles of Christ in her through the great work. She absorbs all those forces through the work, the human soul. All the virtues of our being are within her, which is why the Quran says that she is like a glass of alabaster in which the light of Al-Nur shines. Allah is the light of the heavens and the earth. The example of his light is like a niche within which is a lamp. The lamp is within glass, and the glass is as if it were a pearly white star, lit from the oil of a blessed olive tree, neither of the east nor of the west, whose oil would almost glow even if untouched by fire. Light upon light. Allah guides to his light whom he wills, and Allah presents examples for the people, and Allah is knowing of all things. From Surat al-Nur, Surah 24, verse 35. Allah, the innermost, is the light. In this verse, he sets forth a parable for his servants, a lamp with a light like a glittering star, contained within a vase of alabaster or glass. Geburah, Leu, is the glass, and the light of Allah is Timur, the spirit. So she is the means of reflecting that divinity in us. She's the divine consciousness who never mixes with the ego, although that initiate has died completely. In the meantime, he can manifest some aspects 
of the divine soul during the process of the second mountain so that she can help him fight. She does that by sacrificing herself and teaching through her own death how to achieve resurrection. This light is lit through transmutation, the mysteries of alchemy, through the olive tree of knowledge. This tree is neither of the east, Tifereth, nor of the west, Malkut, since the light emanates from Da'at, or Marifa in Arabic. The oil of this tree is the semen, from the Hebrew word for oil, Shemen. It's interesting that we find even the term Shem, name, in the semen, or sperm and ovum, noon. This is because the power of the initiate's name is in the brute mercury, the seminal matter. And this is why Caliph guards the secret of his name so much, his sexual purity or scientific chastity. It is the key to all empires. There's a very similar teaching in the Wagnerian ring cycle regarding the descent and sacrifice of Geburah within the initiate in the opera Die Valkyria. I think we'll watch it eventually where Brunhilde in the German myth, the German opera, represents Geburah, who descends to help the initiate Sigmund and then Siegfried later on. A very similar principle is present in the operatic works of the great masters, which we don't have the time to go into depth here, but it's important to remember that the divine soul absorbs Christ and descends to help Tifereth fight a spiritual war. Leu, Geburah, is also Martian, the power of Mars, which confuses a lot of people in occultism because people think of the Martian force as something masculine. The truth is it's feminine. You notice that Leu is very sweet, very serene, very kind, very compassionate, but she's stronger than any of the men in the opera, primarily because she's responsible for all the pains of the initiate. With her force, her Martian strength, she sacrifices herself. She says, I know I'll never be able to be with the prince. She loves him, but he loves Turndo. This serves as a simple plot point, a fascinating love triangle, but there's something very profound here. Puccini is basically showing that, obviously, Tifereth is in love with Shekinah, Caliph with Turndo. Well, Caliph doesn't seem to reciprocate Leu's romantic love for him, Symbolically speaking, the divine soul can only unite with the human soul through death, as we talked about in the play Romeo and Juliet and one of our lectures on the eternal tarot of alchemy and Kabbalah. In order to unite the divine soul with the human soul, the ego must be completely dead. In that way, the human soul unites with the divine soul and the spirit, and then within Bina, the Holy Spirit, through resurrection. But of course, this drama must happen first, where Geburah descends into hell to help the initiate, to help him succeed. Leo teaches him that with death, one conquers death, so that one can achieve a perfect marriage with Bina. Therefore, Nietzsche wrote in Thus Spoke Zarathustra, Spirit is a life that itself cuts into life with its own agony and increases its own knowledge. Did you know that? Geburah is Mars, killing bloodshed that's her sacrifice but not against anyone not a literal killing but a psychological one she teaches us how to kill the ego she teaches the initiate how to die to desire 
Leo is showing us that if we want to marry Turndo and unite all the parts of the being, we must die psychologically. We must keep our secret of chastity. We must fulfill the path of Bushido amongst the samurai, the way of the warrior. Of course, this was a beautiful teaching that degenerated in Japan, but as Zen Buddhist roots, in which one must die radically to desire. This is the way of the warrior, Valkyria, Virya, where we get words like virility and virtue. She is Mars, strength through suffering, which, while sweet and feminine, is the power of the warrior. She's the strongest character in the whole opera. Caliph is very convincing and very powerful, but he couldn't do it without Leu, without the divine servant. She commits seppuku, which originally symbolized the death of the ego. Of course, people think it's literally a physical story about a servant who sacrifices herself so that a prince can marry a very murderous princess. And of course, those literal meanings are, while entertaining, very superficial and absurd. They don't really withstand an occult literary analysis. Layu says that Turandot is girdled with ice, meaning her chastity, severity, which can only be melted by the fire of Caliph's love. She says, you will love eventually the Prince Caliph as I love him. Meaning when the ego is fully dead and the ice of the lunar sphere has melted through chastity, Bina will absorb Tiferet and all the lower seven Sephiroth through resurrection. So before the break of day, Leu says, I shall close my tired eyes never to see him anymore, except through resurrection. They only see each other through mystical death. This is when Timur, the spirit who is blind in us, is told about his daughter's death. So he grieves. It's a very painful process for the being, in which Geburah descends into the initiate. That's because the divine soul and the spirit are one within a master. But in order to help Caliph work in himself, she must descend into him and mix with all the impurities to help him fight. But of course, Timur is blind. He's grieving. He's the exalted Tartarian king, exiled king of the north, the spirit. And Timur, symbolically speaking, is blind in us. The eyes of Ra, the spirit, are no longer active because we fell. But this doesn't mean that the being is blind. It just means that in us, that potential is not active. Because the being is always omniscient, even when we are not. The spirit sees. As the Quran repeatedly teaches, Allah is the witness of the heavens and the earth. He sees all things. It is dawn, my little Leo, Timur says to her. Meaning, Chokmah, the sun, or Sola Logos, as in Geburah. He also pronounces with great grief that God should be outraged. This is true. The gods, the Buddhas, would be angered if her death, which is so noble, is not justified with marriage with Turno. Because to reach that point is very high and difficult, but not to make it at the end is very, very painful. One can fall at that point very easily. It's a very dangerous path, very straight and narrow, which is why the Quran says in Al-Fatiha, the opening, verses 6-7, through seven, Guide us to the straight path, the path of those upon whom you have bestowed favor, not of those who have evoked your anger or of those who are astray. Every one of us, without exception, has killed our inner God 
our inner being. We assassinated the god Mercury through fornication. We've sinned against the goddess Moon, and therefore we must pay the price. This is when the multitudes of people say, Unhappy shade, shameful shade, forgive us. And then as I said earlier in the previous lectures, the chorus is dual. It can be heavenly or diabolic, depending on how the verb is used. So in heaven it's divine, but in hell it's demonic. Timur says he will follow the, to rest beside Geburah, Leu, in the night that knows no dawn. It might seem that the being is doubting at this point. It's very difficult to escape the darkness in order to turn to the light. He will descend into Klipot looking for his lost soul if the ego is not fully eliminated, if one fails and enters devolution. So Ping, Pang, and Pong at this point say that this is the first time they look upon death without sneering. Yao, Diablo, Lucifer, doesn't mock the descent of Giburah into the initiate. It's very serious. They say, Leu, gentle spirit, rest in peace. Timur and the crowd then exit, which is actually the point, I believe, at which Puccini didn't finish his opera. The rest of the opera was developed by another composer, Franco Alfano, from Puccini's notes. He made sure that the esoteric message got through for this final work, which is important. It is at this point in time, Tifereth, Prince Caliph, or Caliph, the master of the Middle East, says to Turandot, You are a princess of death. Which is true. In heaven, she is divine mother death. Bina, Saturn, the Sabbath. But down in hell, she is Kali, who swallows the infidels, al kafirin within the ninth sphere of the inferno. He tells her to come down from her tragic heaven to tear her veil. Only by tearing the veil of Isis to the death of the ego can we achieve resurrection. The veil of Isis, he says, is like ice and water. Again, very symbolic. The ice and water of Yasod must be melted and transmuted in a marriage. All this, of course, is very symbolic, which is funny when people see this opera. Obviously, audiences are very fascinated with these dramas, which are interpreted in a very juvenile sense. Why would this prince want to marry this woman who killed his servant and threatened to kill him? Of course, very literally, it's extremely silly. But symbolically, he becomes more aroused by her, in love with her. This is a beautiful symbol of how love and death are one. Divine Mother Death is love, the terror of love and law, as mentioned innumerable times by Samael and Veor. She resists him. She first says, don't touch me, it's a sacrilege. Meaning, to touch the Divine Mother, to approach the Divine Mother with lust, is demonic, blasphemous. But to really be united with her is to be completely dead, chaste. The kiss of the Divine Mother death requires absolute death of the ego. To become Harit, the Divine Father, which is Binah, the masculine aspect of the Holy Spirit. But then he takes her in his arms and kisses her. Very dramatic music thunders representing the fatality and the supreme negation of the self. He has died of the eagle completely. He then calls her the flower of dawn, referring to Venus, the rose, Shoshana, Rosh Hashanah, the perfected chastity of the initiate. She says, how did you conquer? And then he says, do you weep? 
She weeps her first tears. He answers her with a question, do you weep? Referring to the eyes. Says the eyes of Oros are now open. Eyes in Hebrew is Ainim. Ain, Yod, Nun, Yod, Yod, final mem. Which contains the letter Ain. Ain is found in the middle of Dat. Dalat is the doorway through which we see Ain, the truth, Tav. It is through the fires of alchemy that we melt the ice of Yasod. And when Turndo weeps, her vision within the initiate is cleansed, is clear. The truth is visible to both princess and prince, since Caliph is now completely dead to the ego. Turndo relates how she despised all the people who tried to marry her before. The initiates who said they loved her, but failed. Yet she feared Caliph, because he was like a Mozart, a Beethoven, a Wagner. Some initiates can conquer the Moonlight Sonata, the darkness of the soul, and come out in the end with the sun. Many end up like Samson. She says the light springs from him, as she felt the fear of conquering and being conquered. Devi Kundalini fears our failure. She also fears the soul being victorious, because the inverted serpent is active there, fighting all the time. So she still tests Caliph even when he has no ego. She tells him to leave while he has the chance. Even when you're fully dead to an ego, you must achieve resurrection. So, don't think that as soon as you annihilate the ego, you resurrect. It's a long process in which the initiate must be tested. And of course, it's a very dangerous work. He must qualify from his initiations. One achieves initiation, but then one must qualify. This refers to how we must pay all our karma with gladness and not to pronounce anything against God. The kiss to the Divine Mother symbolizes His submission to her and the summation of mystical death at this point. She's swooning because He's now preparing for the end of the path, the height of the second mountain. So at this point, she unveils her love for Him. He then says, My name is Caliph, son of Timur. At that moment, she says, I know your name. And there's excitement in the audience. They're saying, okay, she's probably going to have him killed now since he gave away his secret. It seems like she wants to kill him at that point. But the fact that she says, I know your name, and that I've achieved victory is dualistic. She has achieved victory in the soul because he has perfected his submission to God, his Islam, you could say. He said, my victory is in your embrace. My life is in your kiss. It is at this point that he says, it is now the hour of trial. This is the dilemma of to be or not to be, in which the soul is to be swallowed by Saturn, Kronos, the Holy Spirit. You don't know until the very end what will happen, until when they are presented in the palace. Turndo says, Father, I know the name of this stranger. His name is love. In Hebrew, love is Gedulah, Chesed, the spirit. Because now when the ego is fully dead, the soul integrates with Geburah, all the lower bodies. The spirit is absorbed in Binah, the Holy Ghost, through resurrection. So at the end, she says it is love. Has said the spirit is united with all the parts of the being. All the audience hear, <coughs> hears this beautiful chorus singing of the divine marriage of resurrection. O sun, life, eternity, 
light of this world and love. We rejoice and celebrate this song and this sunshine, our great happiness. Glory to thee. Therefore, we conclude with this following quotation from the book of Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. Be thou faithful unto divine mother death, and I will give thee a crown of life. The power of sex that guards the prince in his journey is the ruin laugh, the ruin of life. This is the mystery of scientific chastity, of alchemy. The rune laugh in the Gnostic tradition is performed on the 27th of each month. 2 plus 7 equals 9. The mysteries of Yasan. Face the east in the morning and walk towards the sun with your hands above your genitalia, walking slowly while praying to the solar logos to descend into your hands, into your genitalia, and to grant you any particular blessings you need. Remember that the rune laugh is the rune of sexuality, the rune of life, which can grant us any petition we need when we are sincere and working in transmutation. When you raise the rune laf, lamed fe in Hebrew, to your head, by raising your hands and sexual energy above your kaf, you form caliph, kaf lamed pe. When the hands are above your head, you are forming the rune man. Stretch your arms in a completely vertical fashion above your head, and you form the rune is, Isis, Jerundal, the Divine Mother. Through the rune of life, through transmutation, we achieve the secret of alchemy and transform ourselves into true men and women. Through the power of Isis Turundo. The mantra for the rune of Isis is So caliph is formed in you when you raise the rune laf to your head, your kaf or crown. That's the secret of the caliph, the master of the Middle East. Any questions? Yes. China represents the East and the West. Is that klipot or what? Yes. The West is klipot because the sun sets in Malkut and descends into the infernal plains. In the drama of Geburah, Leu descends into the initiate. It's a symbol of how the sun must descend into the west in order to go into Klipot to help us fight all that evilness inside of us so that you can return to the east with the sun through resurrection. So in the book of Revelation, is that battle between the east and the west, that battle between our brain, our mind, and our sexual brain? Or is that the left and the right brain? Well, it could relate to the battle between brain and sex. The sun must rise into your head through transmutation, not the other way around, where the soul energies go out and follow the moon. What precisely are the stars that Caliph praises in Act 3? The Absolute. In the Kabbalah, if you look back at the Tree of Life, you have three regions that are above the Tree of Life. You have Ain. Ein Sof, Ein Sof Or. Ein is the nothingness, cosmic space, the cosmic common eternal father. Ein Sof is the light of our being. As a star, the absolute shines with omniscience and power. Caliph was praising the stars when singing Nesu Dorma, when looking at his Ein Sof, his inner glory and his Christ. 
He prays that his light aid him in himself, which is the Ein Sof Hor, the limitless light. The light is still unitary and the unmanifested. But when that light enters the universe, it becomes the Trinity, Keter, Chokmah, Mina, the three primary forces that emanate outward and then reconvene as three in order to create. So the Ein Sof is precisely our true being, the star of Bethlehem. You can also look at the lecture we gave on Arcanum 2, the High Priestess, where we explain some details about the Ein Sof, Bethlehem, the house of bread, that shines with the nativity of the being, which we saw in Act 2 with the three Magi reading the scrolls of the initiate, his answers, and praising the birth of Christ in him when he takes the direct path. Well, does one choose to take the direct path to become an initiate as opposed to the nirvanic spiral path? Does this happen in the astral plane? Those initiations occur internally. There have been rituals done in the past, physically, to commemorate and to commence the initiate on the path of the Bodhisattva. This doesn't happen frequently because it's a very rare path. Not a lot of people take it, but the nirvanic path is pretty common. Those initiations occur internally through experiences. Your being will show you if he wants, since his initiations and path belong to him. Are there people on this earth working and achieving initiations? I know people. I know many. Many of the people in the Gnostic movement are returning to Turno, the divine princess Shekinah. There are many fallen bodhisattvas in this movement that are trying to rise again, like the prince in the beginning of Act 1 or the beginning of Act 2. We hear the stories of Ping, Pang, and Pong who talk about how many princes tried to marry Turno and how many of them failed. They reached initiation at some degree in the past, but fell. And then they try to regain what they lost. It is a very difficult path, especially if such fallen masters are not diligent about working on the ego. Remember that they originally fell because of the mind. Are there any couples having a child through immaculate conception? There are people, but usually those people don't talk about it with other Gnostics. Apparently because there's a lot of gossiping and backbiting in the Gnostic movement. Specifically, it's a big game of who can be more spiritual. It's the same ego, adopted for other things, more spiritual things. That's kind of what happens in institutional religion. I grew up Roman Catholic, very quiet about it, and then something just happened, the deep desire. It was all very unnatural. Can this happen very naturally? Can you become an initiate without even realizing what's happening on a conscious level? So, good question. Samayan Vior mentions that there are many people who are in the minor mysteries, especially in the very beginning of the path, because they're practicing the three factors. Sacrifice, birth of the soul for transmutation, and death of the ego. They may not be very awakened, but they have some degree of light, little by little. And some people may not even know that they passed through the minor mysteries yet, except by having some experiences later on that show them. But there are people who have been through the major mysteries that don't remember certain internal initiations because their being doesn't want them to see it. This occurs mostly to protect that initiate from being proud. But in another sense, the work of the path itself is very conscious and very specific. To really know where we're at, we must be very awake. So of course there's levels. We do by degrees. It takes a lot of effort on our part to know where we're at. And the work requires a lot of patience too, because sometimes the being, while he is very powerful, 
has a lot of light, doesn't give it to you until later when he wants. We must learn how to obey and not resent having or not having light because that's our fault. If we have no light, it's because the being doesn't want us to have light. And that's why Caliph in Act 3 suffers so much because he wants light. He says, I wish this night would end and I wish the dawn were here. Every initiate suffers a lot in the inferno. It must go through a lot of pain. But he has to be very humble and to accept his fate. Let the light enter him when the light needs it. When the light doesn't want certain things to be done, he withdraws. God divided the light from the night. You can relate this principle to the first initiation of fire in which you start to generate that light. But God says, let me divide the night from the day. Let me take that light from you so that you don't make any mistakes so we don't harm ourselves. Because while we may have light, we may act poorly. This work takes a lot of restraint on our part. To learn more about the knowledge covered in this lecture, we invite you to study the books available through Glorian Publishing or GnosticTeachings.org. You can also view free online courses, lectures, transcriptions, and articles available at ChicagoGnosis.org. All of this is made possible by the support of listeners like you. Have you benefited from this knowledge? Help others by making a tax-deductible donation at chicagognosis.org. We thank you for listening. We hope that these lectures aid you in developing your complete and divine potential. May all beings be happy. May all beings be joyful. May all beings be in peace. Thank you.